Welcome to the What We Talked About in Class podcast, brought to you from the campus of Johnston Community College in Smithfield, North Carolina, underwritten by Anchor, where everyone can make a podcast for free. All right, so tell me what we talked about on Tuesday. Does anybody remember? What did we talk about? What are we talking about? Uh, different forms of businesses, such as sole proprietorships, partnerships, and corporations. Sole proprietorships, partnerships, and corporations, uh, or yeah, corporations, different types of business. And so, what is a sole proprietorship? <laughs> this is not. This doesn't count, Ace. But answer, please. <laughs> Come on, yeah. I want. I want to answer questions on the board, but but tell, we're just talking right now. So, what is a sole proprietorship? One person owns the business. Okay, what's a partnership? Two or more, right? And a corporation is a complex business organization that could have many owners. You know, in fact, it could have two or more, but it can have hundreds and if not thousands or millions, depending on how big it is and how many and and how the stock is distributed. So, can be traded on the stock exchange. And so, so we we stopped right here talking about um, disadvantages of corporations. So um, I'm going to jump into talking about a B Corp now. And so how B Corps help society while earning profits. Didn't, okay, just make sure. All right, for benefit uh, corporations, the purpose of business is to do good as well as earn profits. These mission-based companies are certified by an organization called B Lab that determines how well they meet a set of socially and environmentally beneficial goals. In 2018, Big Low T in uh, Connecticut became a certified B Corp in order to ensure the company remained committed to its founding principles. The company earns more than $200 million in annual revenue while it's also providing for its employees and pursues, pursuing worthy causes. And so think about these companies as uh, having an altruistic outcome. They want to do good. They, they want to make money, but they want to use that money. Oh, bummer. They want to use that money for a uh, positive outcome. Maybe I didn't break this thing completely. Okay. There we go. Perfect. So the uh, big boys of business, American largest corporations, Walmart, this may not be true, but I think it still is. Walmart is the largest private employer in the United States. I think they have. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. yeah. 2.4 or 2.5 million employees. Um, ExxonMobil, Apple, Berkshire Hathaway, and Amazon. These are some of the largest corporations on Amer- in America and on earth. Um, yeah. Any, any comments on any of this before we jump on? All right, so uh, privacy, please. The 10 largest private corporations in the United States. So Cargill is located in uh, Minnesota. Coke Industries, Albertsons, Deloitte, Pricewater, Coopers, Mars, Ernst & Young, Public Supermarkets, Ray's Holding, and Pilot Fi- uh, Flying J. And so you see them across a number of different industries, farming chemicals, food markets, three in the business services, Another food, another food market, food and drink, and then convenience stores. So well, quite a diversity of uh, large private corporations there. This is just interesting uh, takeaway information. Not necessarily need to know, just good to know. All right, so even the big guys make mistakes. So here's some, here's some bad moves from big corporations. So the Atari company, the amount of surplus from a bad game was so big, the copies had to be buried in a New Mexican uh, landfill. Does anybody know this story? It was E.T., yeah. So do you know the story behind it? Uh, I do not, actually. That's the fine. The game was, uh, well, it was terrible, and there was no way. 
The and what happened was the movie was such a hits that the the movie um, house that produced ET, which I think is Amblin Entertainment, um, they wanted to get a game out quickly, and so they contracted with Atari. Let's get a game quickly because. They're trying to ride the wave, and today what happens is when a movie comes out, they've already got the game and the toys and the merch ready to go in advance. Uh, but uh, back then, it was they were very much learning as they went. And so the, the movie was such a hit, we got to get a game out. So they put together the game in like eight weeks, something insane. you know. And it was like just a really, really bad game. Um, and there's documentaries about this, but... There's actually a documentary where the documentarian talks about this topic, and at the very end, they go to try to dig around the landfill to try to dig up, and they found some samples of these ET games. But um, this, I don't know if this was actually admitted. Atari actually admitted they did this. It was always kind of like a urban legend that they buried the games. But I think they, it's 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 been said enough now that I think it is something that actually happened. So. So Blockbuster passed on a partnership with Netflix and ended up going bankrupt in 2011. This is, this is one of those stories that just kills me when I hear. Blockbuster was the mega giant in the home rental industry. They had the opportunity to buy Netflix for $50 million, which is nothing, nothing compared to what some of these companies spend today. I just read about, I think Apple, uh, no, it was either Apple or Microsoft buying a company today for like, Twenty billion dollars. So fifty million is nothing burger for them to buy Netflix, and Netflix approached them about being purchased. Blockbuster turned them down. They turned them down because they thought they could do it better. And what ended up happening is Netflix just ate their lunch. People realized I don't want to go to the video store. I like being able to surf online for all the movies. Just put it in the queue. And did anybody in here besides me get the disc in the mail? Nobody? You did? You got the discs in the mail? Yeah. I did that for a while. I didn't realize this, but Netflix still has a disc-based rental business. You can still get discs in the mail from Netflix. I actually need to think about adding discs back because uh, we we don't have satellite at my house and we don't have internet at my house, so getting discs would probably be good. Yeah, so, uh, but anyway, it was just a tragedy that they passed because Netflix ended up streaming, caught on very quickly. Blockbuster tried to pivot and also do streaming, and they also tried to do Redbox rentals. You know, they had a Blockbuster Redbox machine themselves, and it just it blew up in their face. And so now they're out of business. They just closed the final Blockbuster this year. And it's kind of sad because growing up, going to the video rental store was a part of my culture. You know, like you go. In fact, my wife and I, our first date was going to a video store and walking around talking about movies and stuff. What's I up? Actually, found a Blockbuster CD recently. Really. Yeah. And like DVDs and all that, and I just pulled it on, like, oh, that probably should have been returned a long time ago. Oh, sure. Yeah. But we had gotten it, I think, when we were in Florida, and uh, Florida one closed down before we moved here. Right. And so then when it closed down, there's none here. There's none here when we But looking at the video rental industry as a whole, it's a great microcosm as to what happens in business, the evolution of business to begin with. Because if you don't current, continually innovate and make it a better experience for your customers, um, they're eventually somebody's going to step in and destroy you. Because when I was a kid, we had two or three independent video stores in town, in the town I lived in, and there was no chain. There was no chain like Movie Gallery or Blockbuster or Hollywood Video. But 
what happened was you would have these bad experiences. Like if you didn't bring your video tape back on time, they charged you two bucks or you didn't rewind it. They charged you a dollar or two. And that kind of stuff was really, it pissed you off. You know, my dad got pissed off one time. I remember we were like five minutes late and they charged us two bucks. And he's like, you know, just, just, it's one of the things that, that makes it uh, an inconvenience for the consumer. But with Netflix model, you can keep the disc as long as you want. Keep it for six months, whatever. As long as you send it back to us when you're done with it, that's fine. So great, great story. I love studying that 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 moment and what happened in uh, mm-hmm. the video industry. Coca Cola. Does anybody remember New Coke? It was not good. It was not good. It. I don't even know how to describe the the, the taste of it. It was like, I I can't even. It was like syrupy, crisp. Like it was like a weird Sprite flavor or something. I don't know. It's not good. Yeah, not not good, not good. Lasted only 77, 77 days because Coca-Cola received more than 1,500 complaint calls a day. People saying, what are you guys doing? If you got something that works, don't don't change it, you know. Pan American Worldwide, after the bombing of Flight 103, the airline blamed the government after the victim's family filed a $300 million lawsuit. Yeah, that's probably not a good idea. Pest.com debuted with a $3 million Super Bowl ad and a Macy's Day, uh, Thanksgiving Day parade float. Nine months later, they went bankrupt. That was a huge dot-com bubble bust. There was a lot of them back then. Uh, but just because you're a big company, just because you have a good idea, doesn't mean that it's always going to work out. So you have to always be challenging yourself. What's the next big thing? Uh, even my favorite companies today, like Apple, Amazon, uh, they could they could fall. Facebook is going to go down at some point. I'm just sitting on the sidelines waiting. It's coming. I don't know what's going to take them out. But TikTok might be the thing that takes them out. You know. So what do you think? Oh, I, they got, they're not going out anytime soon, I don't think, but... I think the whole... Like, I feel like Facebook might go down as a whole, but they have so many... Like, Meta itself... Right, Meta is a big deal. I get it. Yeah, I'm, I just see that if they don't continually adapt, they are, they feel the pressure of TikTok right now. They know they're losing market share to that, and they're freaking out because they realize the younger audience is gravitating to that medium, Instagram, TikTok, and they do on Instagram, So, but... Uh, TikTok is just eating their lunch right now, so they, they, they're trying to react to that. All right, so corporations, we've already talked about them a little bit. Individuals can incorporate, so I, myself, Ryan, can open the Ryan Corp. Uh, anyone, truckers, doctors, plumbers, athletes, and small business owners can incorporate. Stock is normally not issued to outsiders when individuals incorporate, so they do not share the advantages and disadvantages of large corporations. Um, major d- advantages are limited liability and possible tax benefits. The re- I actually looked into incorporating it with a friend of mine uh, some years ago now. We, were, we had a small investment thing we were working on, and I said, you know, we could actually incorporate, and what that would do for us is any profits that we realize on a year-to-year basis, we could just retain those in a corporate structure. We wouldn't have to pay those out to ourselves, and we could just let that war chest grow over time. I think that's a big advantage if you're running a side project and you don't have to be – because I'm very tax-sensitive – meaning that I want to minimize my tax liability as much as possible. That being said, there's a difference between uh, tax evasion and tax avoidance. I'm not a tax expert. I mean, I'm not, I'm not able to offer you tax feedback and advice, but from an educator standpoint, tax evasion will get you arrested. Tax avoidance is smart, meaning that you do everything you can legally do to avoid paying uh, the maximum taxes. You want to try to pay the minimum taxes legally allowable. And corporations do that. There's a lot of corporations that pay zero tax. There's a lot of wealthy individuals that pay very, very limited tax. 
In fact, um, like CEOs of big corporations that they own and started, uh, a lot of those guys have zero salary or $1 salary. So they pay tax on $1 of income, but all their money is in, in, in gains from their stock and things like that. So, yeah, so that is kind of how wealthy individuals and corporations use the taxes to their advantage. So, um, so oddities but goodies, or sorry, oldies but goodies, America's oldest corporation. So these are some dated corporations. J.E. Rhodes and Sons, Conveyor Belts, uh, Covenant Life Insurance. Wow. An insurance company has been around since 1717. That's pretty crazy. Philadelphia Insurance. I guess insurance, there's a lot of money in insurance, these old, old companies, since 1752. Dexter, Adhesive and Coatings. Uh, D. Landreth Seed, Seed Company, Bank of New York, 1874. Wow, these are some, uh, some old ones. Some of these are pre-United pre States of America, pre-1776, so that's really cool. Um, yeah, that's one interesting thing, though, that from the chapter is corporations have unlimited lives, meaning that just because the founder dies or the founder's entire family dies, as long as the ownership is kept in perpetuity, it continues. Now, I like to study companies on a case study basis, and I told you about Krispy Kreme. Another interesting one is Manoff Pickle Company. Anybody eat Manoff Pickles? What kind of pickles do you eat when you eat pickles? Is there a, is there a particular type or brand you like? How was that? Because I don't even know the name. You, you, so do, do, do you like pickles, though? Do you like sweet pickles or, or dill pickles? Both. Yeah, I guess you guys are not very passionate on the pickle conversation. Hey, I get it. Man, I get it. Man, what you eat? What's that? What's the brand that has the duck on it? Vlasic. Is it Vlasic? Yeah, I think so. Those are kosher deals. Those are good. They are good. <laughs> they are good. I like the Vlasic. Yeah. Um, I, I like Mount Olive. I like the Vlasics too, but Vlasic, I believe, is number one in the pickle industry and Mount Olive is number two nationwide. Um, and the reason I talk about this is um, it ties into this, but I'm from the Mount Olive area, not originally. I live there now. And we have the Mount Olive Pickle Company as our big local industry. And every year they have the Pickle Festival where we go and they give out free pickles and have a bunch of crafts and stuff. You know, it's neat. Local pickle on uh, New Year's Eve. They drop a pickle on New Year's Eve, yeah. Um, but that being said, I, it was really interesting reading about the history of the company. It was started by two immigrants, and when they, they started, I think they had something like 17 investors originally jump in and invest with them to start the Mouth Pickle Company. And this has been quite some time ago, uh, but the original 19 families still own 100% of the stock. It's a privately held company. So when they pay dividends, those 19 families in perpetuity get the dividends paid to them directly. And so you've got third or fourth generation children now getting dividends from their great-great-grandfather's investment in Mouth Pickle Company. And the company still is owned by that 19 core families, uh, which is really cool. The president of Mouth Pickle goes to my church, and uh, every once in a while we'll talk about it. And he's just inter it's interesting to hear about stuff like that. So, But that company, barring them going out of business, will be here 100 years, 200 years from now, and their great, 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 five great, six great grandchildren can still reap the dividends off that, off those sales. So pretty interesting stuff. Uh, one other note on that, I went and took a tour of the plant probably five or 10 years ago now, and it's really interesting to see how they make these things. They take all the cucumbers from the field, they throw them in these massive vats that are about the size of half this room, and 
They fill them up with salt water. Yeah. My brother makes his own pickles. He does? Mm -hmm. Does he do like really, really salty water? And... I'm not sure what he does. Yeah. He has like this whole garden. Like they sure. Everything. Yeah. They're really good. Your parents do too? Yeah. But they fill up, fill them up with really, when I say really salty water, I'm like, it's so salty that the cucumbers turn white because of the salt content. And when they dump the water out, the cucumbers are white because they got so much salt in them. Then they had to pull some of the salt out of them. So they desalinate them somewhat, and then they put the brine on them and, and, and move on, you know. But fascinating to watch how they do this. So. All right. So S-Corps, a unique government creation that looks like a corporation, but is taxed like a sole proprietorship and partnership. The half-shareholders, directors, and employees, plus the benefit of limited liability. Profits are taxed only as the personal income of the shareholders. So to me, ever since I've, I've been learning about S-Corps, I don't see the big, I mean, to me, the benefit of having a corporation is the tax advantage of not having to, you know, claim, the, claim that as income until you want to. But I guess some people want the benefit of being incorporated and not having to deal with, you know, withholding uh, income and just go ahead and take it as personal income. I guess this gives another option for people that want a different tax treatment. That's the only reason I could think of somebody wanting to do an S-Corp. It just changes the way the taxes are treated. Uh, so questions, comments on any of this we've talked about so far. All right, some additional information on S-Corp. Qualifications for S-Corporations have no more than 100 shareholders. Have shareholders that are individuals or estates and who as individuals or citizens or permanent residents of the United States have only one class of stock, derive no more than 25% of income from passive sources. Like you can't be a hedge fund and have your income coming from investments and things. If an S corporation loses its S status, it may not operate under it again for at least five years. And so, yeah, for me, like I said, it just gives it a different tax treatment and it doesn't really have an, it's not appealing to me but obviously, there are some circumstances where people may want to have this as an S-Corp. So. All right, any other questions, comments? All right, limited liability companies, LLCs. You've probably seen this before, like Joe's Lone Care LLC. Have you ever seen that before on, on signs and stuff? An LLC, they're similar to an S-Corporation, but without the special eligibility requirements. More than half of new businesses, business registrations in some states are LLCs. Um, my dad has formed LLCs over the years. I never had to. I've always did. Anything I ever did was a sole proprietor. But LLCs, basically, um, it tells you in the title, limited liability companies. And what this seeks to do is give you some insulation from liability if something was to happen. So if I, owe, if I own Joe's Lone Care and I'm spraying some chemical and that chemical causes damage, to a client's home or causes damage to some of their loan furniture or whatever it may be, um, they, they might say, I'm going to sue this guy over, you know, over damages. Um, I'm not, I don't want to get too far down the path of business law, but most of the time when I say sue somebody, people would prefer to resolve things without a lawsuit. They would prefer you to, they might call Joe and say, hey, can you just pay me for my loan furniture that you damaged, 500 bucks? And Joe might say, you know what, I'm not going to do that, so you can sue me if you want to. But Joe really has to weigh the, the, the risk-benefit. So if he's going to be sued, it might cost him $2,000 to defend a lawsuit, and he might still lose. So it might be in his best interest to pay the $500 settlement and move on, and a lot of companies will do that. They would prefer to go ahead and settle, 
give that person whatever it is, $100,000, whatever, instead of risking an expensive legal, uh, go through litigation and having to lose anyway and have to pay out. So it's all, in business, it's all risk analysis. You're trying to figure out what's going to end up being the cheaper, better option to go down. All right, so Unique LLCs, Petzen Products LLC offers doggy treadmills to help pudgy pets get back on their puppy, puppy get back their puppy figures. What are the advantages or disadvantages of LLC? So what do you think an advantage of an LLC would be one of my aces? Remember, if you answer, you don't have to go again. And you just indicated you're not an ace. So. <laughs> what do you think an advantage of an LLC would be? Potentially, but it does give you uh, gives you an extra. Like, I th think of it as when you get an LLC, you're you're adding a shield to your armor, and so that being said, that's not guaranteed you're not going to get stabbed by the dragon, but it is something. You know, what I'm saying it's it's to say, you know, your business could fail and they might not could come after your personal assets. That's not always the case, but it does give you that extra layer of protection. So, thank you, Ace. You don't have to answer any other questions. So, what do you think a disadvantage of an LLC might be? Any other Aces want to answer? There you go. What do you think? I'll take our acceptable, acceptable. We'll take it. So thank you, Ace, for answering. All right, moving on. So limited liability companies continue. So advantages and disadvantages. I guess that slide was out of order, but good, good effort. Limited liability. We mentioned that choice of taxation, flexible ownership rules, flexible distributions of profits and losses, operating flexibility. Some disadvantages. No stock ownership is non-transferable. I think that's a big disadvantage for LLCs. Um, I've looked at both over the years, and really depending on the individual, and depending on what you're doing and how much money you're talking, um, if you're dealing with a just a significant amount of money in a business operation, I think there's a lot to be said for a corporation because you can transfer ownership very seamlessly. And um, I, I just I feel like that might be a, the better move, but every every instance is different. Uh, fewer incentives for an LLC, the taxes or disadvantage in the paperwork. So paperwork, that can be an advantage and disadvantage because you can have paperwork with a corporation as well, so. All right, test prep. So um, one of my aces, there's only two left, but this will get you talking. What are the advantages and disadvantages of incorporating a business? What do you think? Don't worry about being wrong or right, it'll be okay. Why would you incorporate a business to begin with? I'll give you a hint, starts with a T. A-X-E-S, taxes. Yes, that's an advantage. Because uh, if you incorporate, if you start a corporation, you can, uh, if you do an S-Corp, you can do it at the personal income level. But if you do a, uh, a, a C-Corp, you can delay that taxation from personal income and, and stream it to yourself. So what's the role of owner or stockholders in the corporate hierarchy? What is the role of an owner? What do you think? You got it. They can, I, I'll help you, but you still have to answer something, okay? What, do you have an answer? I don't. You don't want to say? I think I know it. I mean... Confidence. You got it. So if I buy some... Take risks, you know, personal assets. So the owner is basically an investor that says, I'm willing to risk my money and hope of a return. And so that's what 
the owner is there. They're the risk taker. So you're on the right path. If you buy stock in a corporation and someone gets injured by one of the corporate, corporation's products, can you be sued? Why or why not? If, I'm just a, if I just buy stock in Apple and, some, and an iPhone blows up in somebody's face tomorrow, can I be sued? Why not? Make up something. Make it sound good. Go. That's it. You're, you've, you've got limited liability. You're just, a fi- you're just putting the money up. You're like a limited partner. You know, I'm just going to put up, if I buy a share of Apple stock today, I don't know what it is today, maybe 120 bucks. I'm just putting up that 120. That's the extent of my involvement. If you guys make money, I'll benefit. If you, if you lose money, I'll, I'll suffer. But that's, that's the extent of my risk is how much I put up. Why are so many new businesses choosing a limited liability company form of ownership? Why do you think the majority like to go that route instead of uh, like a sole proprietor or something else? What do you think? You got it. It takes it de-risks you, and I have to say, like I've seen businesses. I saw a business. The owner started a business, took out a loan. Business went under, defaulted on the loan. The, the lender put a lien on their house. They didn't lose their house. But what does that mean is when they sell their house, the lien gets paid first. So that note has to be satisfied. That's, that's, that's the real world of business. And so I like to share things with, that, with you like that so you know what the risk benefits can be in business. But if that owner had not been a sole proprietor and they incorporated, that might not have been the case. They may not have been able to do that they may have only been able to go after the business assets. They might, if the business had like $24,000 in the account, they may have had a claim to that first to say, hey, we have a lien on that asset, you know, so. All right, so let's talk about some other things. Corporate expansion, M&A, mergers and acquisitions. A merger is the result of two companies coming together to form one company. Acquisition is one company purchase of another company and, uh, of the property and obligations of another company. So um, you'll hear this like J.P. Morgan Chase as an example. J.P. Morgan and Chase Bank came together, they merged. So that, that is, stuff like that is common where you hear two businesses that used to be separate, they're now together. In fact, um, I don't know who bought who. I, it, was, uh, it was merger, but Dr. Pepper merged with Curie Coffee and so when you look at that company now, it's Dr. Pepper Keurig. That's what it's called now. So, um, But that's, those are just examples of mergers. Acquisitions, you hear about this a lot in pharmaceuticals and tech, where one company will strategically buy another company, often just to protect, it, protect itself from a competitor. So if I've got a new technology company that's coming out that's a, that I think is a potential threat, yeah, I would want to make an offer now to buy them. And if the owner, if I offer them 5 or $10 million to go away, the owner's probably going to say, you know what, that sounds good to me. And so they buy that company, and the owner gets to stay on and work oftentimes and develop the company. If the company grows, the owner still benefits, but the, 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 the company that owns them now can protect themselves from that company uh, basically imposing on their or infringing on their, their business. So um, any questions or comments about mergers and acquisitions? Um, some of the mergers that I've seen recently or acquisitions 
they actually have to get government approval because they're so big. They are trying to protect against monopolies. I think you mentioned something about that earlier this week. Did you mention something about monopolies uh, getting too big or something like that? I thought you did. I'm sorry. Um, but, yeah, the government has to weigh in on some of these to approve it uh, because they don't want these uh, situations to get too big, too out of control. So um, There's a couple different types of mergers. There's a vertical merger, the joining of two companies in different stages of related businesses, meaning that we exist in this silo, like Facebook buys Instagram when they're getting started, you know, or Amazon, a, a retailer, buys, you know, Whole Foods. That's a vertical. But a horizontal merger is the joining of two firms in the, uh, in the, I'm sorry, I messed that up. Different stages of related businesses. Horizontal merges is two firms in the same industry. So like merger between competitors must prove to the Federal Trade Commission that the new combined company does not limit competition unfairly. So like if the major airline players, they said, you know, we're just all going to join forces together and be one, uh, that would be really bad for consumers because one thing that helps price control is the airliners competing against each other. And so I know that if I don't like Delta's answer to how much it's going to cost me to fly to Florida, I can go talk to United or American or another Southwest, whoever. So you've got to have competition in a free market. Otherwise, you do have a, a monopolistic you know, entity. A conglomerate merger, the joining of firms in completely unrelated industries where you've got, um, like right now, Amazon's example, they're getting into a bunch of different uh, areas, but one area they're getting into is pharmaceuticals. They're getting into um, like being an online pharmacy, and I think that's fascinating. But that, that doesn't really, that's outside of their core focus of retail, but that's just another thing they're, they're getting into. So um, any questions or comments on this? All right, so here's some examples. Um, types of merger. So soft drink company buys mineral water company. That's a horizontal merger. Soft drink company buys a artificial sweetener company. That's a vertical. And the soft drink company buys a snack food company. That's a conglomerate. And so the, the, then the motivations behind each one of them is a little different. And so we may want to buy the mineral water as a, an expansion of our product line, but we may want to buy the artificial sweetener company as a way to um, create a better pipeline. So if I control where that sweetener's coming from, I can control the pipeline a little bit better, and I actually can raise prices on competitors. So like, as an example, let's say that a certain percentage of artificial sweetener comes from these suppliers. If I strategically go and start buying up those suppliers, then I can raise prices for competitors, make their products more expensive, where I reap the benefit of having even better cost control on my own product. So there are strategic reasons for doing things like that. Uh, in the snack food company, once again, uh, I may want to diversify and I increase my product offering, but these are uh, similar but ultimately unrelated. So uh, anybody think of real-world examples of this? Anything come to mind? Food The food industry itself, you see a lot of this stuff because – in the grocery store, if you go fill up your grocery basket with just your normal shopping list, probably, not always, but probably all that food came from no more than 10 companies. Even if you put like 50, 60 items in your cart, the vast majority of products in the grocery store are controlled by about 10 companies. 
So there's been a huge consolidation in many industries. Like all the meat in the United States is controlled by like half a, half a dozen industries or companies. And they make the lion's share of meat products. So. Yeah, so. Right. That's a good example, too. Absolutely. Um, any other comments, questions on this? All right, so. What type of merger joins two firms in completely unrelated industries? Anybody have a conglomerate? Is that what we're feeling? Yes? Okay. That is correct. So in 2019, Disney purchased the film and TV assets held by 21st Century Fox for more than $71 billion with a B, giving the entertainment giant the rights to valuable properties like The Simpsons. What type of merger is this? Is this vertical? Horizontal or conglomerate? Horizontal. I think it's horizontal too. Yeah, because it's a it's a similar industry, but within Disney itself, I think you can find examples of all three, because you've got all kinds of related, unrelated, pipeline type stuff. You know, so Walmart had a had a habit of going in, and they would buy shirts from a company for a while, and then they would go buy the shirt company. You know, and then they control. Their own, they put price controls in place for themselves. So, um, yeah, Disney is a giant. Um, I've liked Disney stock for a long time. I don't own any right now that I know about, other than like uh, retirement accounts and stuff. But yeah, I think Disney's a, a great long-term uh, asset. So, all right, other types of expansion: take a firm private, management or a group of uh, stockholders take control by obtaining all the firm's stock, a leverage buyout or LBO, an attempt by employees management or groups of private investors to buy out the stockholders in a company. Ranges inside from 50 million to 34 billion and involve everything from small family businesses to giant corporation. Business acquisitions are not limited to the US to US buyers. Yeah, and there's advantages and disadvantages to everything we talk about, but the, the advantage of this is control. Once you do a leverage buyout, you control the destiny of that company. Uh, and that's, that's what the incentive is is to gain that control and, and own that, uh, that destiny for that company. So, All right, franchising. Love talking about franchising. We've already talked about it a little bit in this, in this class. So franchise agreement is an arrangement whereby someone with a good idea for a business, a franchisor, sells the rights to use the business name and sell a product or service, which is the franchisee, to other franchisees uh, in a given territory. It can be formed as a sole proprietorship, a partnership, or a corporation, more than 733,000 franchise businesses operate in the United States, creating 7.6 million jobs. Um, I had never heard this term until this year, and I mentioned it when I talked about Krispy Kreme, this idea of defranchising, where a company is going and buying back franchises from franchisees. I love the strategy. I never, like I said, I never heard of a company doing this. I may have heard of it, but I've never heard of it called defranchising. But in my opinion, they're doing it because they know something. They know that... Short term, it'll be expensive to do it, but long term, these operations are going to generate a lot of money. So that revenue is valuable to a company. Franchising is a great opportunity for folks to want to get into business. Um, I like I like franchise concept, but there are some downsides, just like in everything. Downside to a franchise is that you are now beholden to that franchisor. You got to play ball by their rules. You got to operate the way they want to. Dairy Queen, yeah, go ahead. What's up? Sure. Comes in, inspects everything, tells us what we're doing wrong. Sure. I feel like 
come through the drive-thru and we won't. won't you won't know Sam, yeah. He'll, like, he'll say that this week he's coming, so we all clean that right. week. And then it's like, some, randomly he'll come through the drive-thru, order a burger and ice cream. And he'll come through and he'll, like, judge us. And you don't know until it's too late. see him at the window. Yeah. He wants to, like, you know, see how that experience is from a consumer perspective. And has he ever given you really harsh feedback? I've only seen him once. Yeah. I got a pin out of it. It's pretty nice. Oh, pins. okay. Do you, like, put them on your hat? Nice. Kind of, like, assemble the other Dairy Queen employees on how long you're working there. Yeah, represent. You got to represent. So, yeah, that's, that's cool. Um, but we used to have regional and divisional managers at Walmart come through. And, yeah, I mean – if it was a bad visit, you had you were, you were going to have a bad experience the next few weeks. So. We just our owner just got uh, apparently told off because there's a couple things like wrong with the dairy. Like you got to get these fixed in 90 days. Like our bathroom, there's a, a thing of tile that's uh-huh. a little different from the rest of the bathrooms. Sure. Because it broke, like it got sure. broken, and we couldn't get the right ones to fix it. And like a couple of other maintenance things, and he was like, "You have 90 days, or like you're going to be fine." Or like you're gonna have to like fix them. You have yeah, to them you have to. Um, that's the thing. If you don't play ball with the franchise, they all, they they can shut you down. They can they can pull your franchise agreement, and if they do that, you are out of business. I mean, that's you don't have the right to operate with their their logo, their products anymore. So it's crucial. I mean, if you if you now that's not to say that going to franchise is bad because there's a lot of people that make a lot of money. The guy that runs Chick-fil-A here in town as a franchiser, champ franchisee, I'm sure he's done very well. The lady that runs Zaxby's, I'm sure she's done very well. You know, And there's tons of examples of people that do very well with franchises. But know that when you get into business with these folks that you got to play by their rules. Otherwise, it's bad news. I mean, our owner's operating three right now, one in Garner, the one in Clayton, and then one open, he opened one in the beach. Your owner? Yeah, the owner of uh, My Dairy Queen. So he's got four? He has three right now. Okay. Well, you just named three that are not this one. Uh, no, I said the. Oh, you've Clayton. got. Where's the one you're operating at? You're I'm Clayton. Clayton so you're Clayton Garner and, and which beach? Yeah, I don't know which. I just heard out towards the beach. Okay. That's a lot, man. I mean, that's. I mean, you, you could do very well, make a lot of money, but that's a lot of moving around, too. So. His dad also owns a bunch. Because like, his dad had owned the franchise before and okay. sold the. Uh, like, had, like, transferred it over to him. Right. And so then he's grown it out. And so his dad also had this. Like they own a bunch of franchises and clean by what I know. Wow. That's awesome. Um, so, yeah, like I said, franchises are good opportunities. The, the good side of it is that you're buying a proven system of business. And franchises like McDonald's that have been in business for a long time, they can tell you probably down to close to the dollar how much money you're going to make. You buy this franchise, this is what your sales are going to look like based on traffic patterns, based on population. This is how much profit or loss you're going to do your first year. This is what you're going to be making by year five. This is what you're going to be making by year 10. They, they know. They know down, you know, as long as uh, you're an owner that makes sure that business is, the business is being kept up. If you let it run to the ground, it's not going to work out. So, so advantages and disadvantages. We talked about this just a moment ago. Management and marketing assistance. Yeah. So if I buy a McDonald's franchise, I'm getting national, international brand recognition. They're advertising all the time, right? I mean, everybody in this room recognizes the jingle, ba da ba 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 right? You know what that is? There's some of these that are, like, programmed into our psyche. We don't even realize it. I mean, if I say a brand, you know, they're great. What is that? Frosted Flakes. Frosted Flakes. God, you guys, come on. Just do it. Nike, right. We, well, these brands are, like, 
programmed into our subconscious. They're there. So um, I'm trying to think of another one of, of a – there was a slogan I was thinking about this week, and I was thinking, that's not really a good slogan, but I, I don't know which one it was. It'll come back to me. I was just thinking, that's not, not a very good slogan. So, um, Personal ownership. Yeah, even though you're a franchisee, you still own this location. Nationally recognized name. Financial advice and assistance. Low failure rates. So a lot of pros in the franchise column. So disadvantages, large startup, startup costs. Um, I've, I've never done a franchise. I have friends that have. A, a friend of mine from high school owns, he owned three Highway 55 Randys at one point. He, I think he sold two of them. Now he owns a Highway 55 and a, a, a Papa John's pizza. But I think to buy into like a Highway 55, you're talking like 25 grand. right? That, that's just a, a, a gift that you give them to be able to use their name. That's just right off the top, twenty five grand. Give it, give it to me, and then they get to get a, sh- a share of the profit. So most franchises take anywhere from six to eight percent of the of the of the profit. So, yeah. So yep. So they they tell you who you, where you get your product from, uh, all that. So management regulation. We just talked about that. They'll tell you what's right, what's wrong, um, the coattail effects, restrictions on selling. And then um, you do run into this where you have fraudulent franchisors that will sell you a concept and it never materializes. So, yeah. Another thing I'm learning because is garden store has to, like, they're required every 10 years, like, having, like, every 10 years you have to refurbish and redo them. So, he's having to close down the gardener one, and they're uh, all coming to work over at the Clayton one. Wow. And in 2024, we're closing down. And doing and don't the flip. And doing the um, Yeah. So, like, they have, they are told to, every 10 years, completely refurbish, which I get, like, change everything, but, like, most of the people I know who are planning on working there for a little bit longer sure. aren't going to have a job when that happens. Gotcha. Either we can go the Gardner one or find a new job. Right. I got you. All right. I'm going to take a quick break just for my recording to uh, save it. Stand up, stretch for a second. We'll be right back. Ooh. All right, so franchising a different form of fun. Stumpy's Hatchet House. This is interesting. I have a friend that's done this. Was born on New Jersey coast by four friends. The company started franchising soon after opening in 2016 with a relatively simple setup and a modest franchise fee, modest fee of $35,000. Modest fee. So you got to pay thirty-five grand to use this, this Stumpy's Hatchet House model. That's expensive to me. Like, that's a... I mean, thirty-five grand is not easy to come by. Customers rent rooms by by the hour and take turns tossing axes individually, while the rest of the party stands away in a safe zone. Um, there's this concept that I've heard is over in Japan, maybe China, but I, I, I did hear it was in Japan, where you go in these things called wreck rooms. Have you heard about this? Where you break things? Have you done one before? No. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, but it's very common in Asia, like Japan's where I heard about it. But you pay to go in and destroy everything in the room. That sounds very like therapeutic, you know, because what the the article I read was saying that people in Asian countries are very reserved, so if they're angry, they don't show it, and it it builds up their tension. And so this is a way they can relieve stress, go in a room and just... especially true in Japan. Yeah? Yeah, 
just, you know, uh, I could see that being effective, you know, so, you know. I think it. I think it is. I don't know about the, the stats. Uh, I know in Singapore, which is a different country down there, yeah, like that's very like monitors and very safe. Um, you don't want to break the law in Singapore. You'll get in a lot of trouble. Because does anybody remember the name Michael Fay? Does that ring a bell? He was an American that was flogged. Yeah, he got flogged over there. Yeah, this happened like twenty twenty five years ago. This is this uh, this is an old story, but. He was in Singapore and he was doing graffiti or something, and they detained him. He was something else, yeah, graffiti, you know. Well, they detained him, and Singapore has a a flogging punishment. And so they, just to paint the picture, they will, like, put you in, like, a medieval, like, headlock and arm brace and expose your buttocks and take a bow staff that's, like, I mean, seven, eight feet long and limber, and it, they will strike you like eight times. They did this guy, and when you like see that, you can watch a video of what it's like to be struck. I mean, it doesn't show that, but they'll strike something with it, and it will like break melons, you know, like crack. And it's just like, oh my god, I can't imagine getting struck like that once. I would be, I would be dead if you hit me like that one time. So, yeah, please. Uh, so, my advice. Uh, don't travel to Singapore unless you have to, and if you do, be good, please, because I would hate for something like that to happen to anybody. So, but yeah, that actually happened, and there was nothing the U.S. government could do to step in and intervene. He was flogged. So, uh, I wonder what ever happened to him. You know, I haven't heard anything about him since. You know, so it would be so wild just randomly run into him. Michael Fay, do I know that name? Oh my God, it's you. You know, so, wow, he's probably franchising at Stumpy's now. So, who knows? Um, what's next? Uh, hang on a second. Stop. Okay. Oh, somehow it, it, it ended. I don't know. Hang on a second. We'll get back into it. Oh. Stuffy didn't like my joke. There we go. Oh, now I got way out of control. Here we go. I'm going to turn this and turn it back on by my own. There we go. So let's talk about service franchise. Dan Remus and Jeff Strauss founded the Canine Cleaning Company, uh, Wagon Wash, when they were concerned about leaving their Dalmatian genie at home all day. They began franchising a few years later and now have locations in nine states. With more on the way, while launching a single store costs an average of $340,000, franchisees can eventually earn more than $1.3 million annually. Good lord. What type of service franchise might, be, might appeal to you as a business owner? I'll say that I see tremendous value in this. Does anybody own like a pedigree dog? Anybody in the room? Do you own a pedigree dog? No. My parents have a pedigree dog, and they struggle finding somebody to groom it. So we need more pet grooming options uh, around. I don't know what's here locally, but in their town, they have trouble finding somebody to, to do that. And it's an expensive service. I mean, you're talking 40, 50, 60 on up to get your dog groomed. So... I think that's a tremendous service. Is there any other service franchises you might think are appealing for whatever reason? Lawn care, that's a big deal. You know, having, having a cruise do that. One of the guys I went to high school with started a, a lawn care business around the coast, and he's got he's big business now. He's got, like, dozens of trucks, 
He sends out crews all over the place, getting commercial contracts. So, yeah, anything like that. I mean, doing stuff. Uh, my dad told me early in business, be willing to do what other people are not willing to do. That's where the money is because people don't want to do it, you know. So, All right, diversity in franchising. When uh, Women own about half of the U.S. companies, yet ownership of franchises is about 35%. More women are becoming franchisors, such as those who started Auntie Anne's. Well, this is very weird. We're talking about this. Decorating Dan and Build-A-Bear Workshops. Wow. It's almost like I prepped this beforehand. So, yeah. But I tell you, um, it is amazing how the stuff seeps in your subconscious because I read this stuff and then it happens to manifest. But um, we were just talking about Auntie Anne's and Build-A-Bear before class. Minorities own less than 19% of businesses, yet over 30% of franchises are minority-owned. Diversity Fran and Federal Minority Business... Um, yeah, is that right? Diversity Friend and Federal Minority Business Development Agency uh, builds awareness of franchising opportunities with minority communities and provides training and support. I think it's and instead of and, or and instead of and. It's a typo there. All right. So diversity and franchising. Artists of all skill levels can bring a bottle of wine, enjoy their friends for a relaxing, creative evening at Painting with a Twist. Michelle Lewis enjoyed her first visit so much that she partnered with her sister, Donna, to open a franchise in Detroit in 2009, followed by two more locations a couple years later. What is the appeal of franchising to entrepreneurs uh, like Michelle and Donna? Why would an entrepreneur and owner want to franchise their business concept? What's the benefit or appeal of doing that? If I start a business and I want to franchise it out to you guys, what's the appeal of doing that? Why would I want to do that? Passive income? Yeah, you get to expand your business without you having to go manage it yourself. So I can take somebody and train them how to operate the business, help them open a shop, and then I'm getting passive income off of that. And then to do it again, and before you know it, you got 50 locations, and the income keeps coming. Because 6 to 8% doesn't sound like a lot, but if you've got 10, 12, 100 restaurants, it really starts to add up, and you got to start to get... Yeah. You're getting that passive income. So you're getting – and then you could you could just step away and you're still getting the passive income, you know. So you can go get that beach house you've always wanted. What's up? Uh, at Dairy Queen, my owner, he barely knows how to run Dairy Queen. He got somebody from, like, an ex-Dairy Queen worker to be his first manager Yeah. at his first store. And when we opened up the second one, he sent her over to yeah. help manage. So she's been training each and every single one of their managers. Right. <coughs> And so that one manager stayed with him the whole time. Where's the national headquarters for DQ? I actually don't know. Yeah. I think it's in the Midwest. Right. The, the food that we serve gives me that, you know, it's sure. like Culver's. Gotcha. Gotcha. Interesting stuff. We should open a southern version of Dairy Queen and call it something else. I found that Warren Buffett actually bought Dairy Queen. He owns it, yeah. Uh, 98? Yeah. Yeah, he's... Uh, Buffett is a is a big time investor, and I've read several of his books. And there's something to be said. He's not always right. I'm not always right. Nobody is. He's admitted that he 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 sat on the sidelines on technology for a long time because he thought it was too risky, and he missed opportunities like Amazon. But I told you guys he's big on Apple now too. He owns five percent of Apple, which is insane. Think about that. I mean, so wow, crazy stuff. Um, so home based franchises advantages. Relief from commuting stress, extra family time, low overhead expense, disadvantage, isolation, and long hours. 
So who has ever heard of the clothing company um, LuLaRoe? Anybody heard of this? You've heard of it? Yeah. It's like a, a clothing it's a clothing brand, but what are they? They're famous for their tights that women wear. Have, um, you heard about it, sir? I don't think so. I think it's a separate company. Yeah. But LuLaRoe started as a, it was a mother making clothes for a daughter that caught on, sort of virally grew locally, and they started expanding. And it's a really good watch on Amazon Prime or Prime Video. It's called Lula Rich. They, they, the, the, I'd never heard this term before until I watched it. Catastrophic growth. They, they grew so fast, they couldn't manage it. And instead of hiring competent operators, they hired all their family members from, you know, they were, they were nepotism. They were keeping all the money inside the family, which is good because you get those, those, the, that reward, but you're hiring people that are not competent to run a large operation. And so they grew so fast, so big, that they didn't have the space to operate, and they were parking boxes and crates of clothing in the parking lot. It was getting wet. It was getting condensation on it. And they were shipping it to operators that had mold and mildew on it. And it just it collapsed. It ended up, it ended up just being a catastrophic failure. Um, and one of my wife's, she, my wife was thinking about doing it at one point. Guess what the buy-in is for that? It's like eight grand. You put up $8,000 and you get eight grand worth of clothes. And then you open up a boutique in your house. Um, but I just saw problems all over the place. I was like, look. Here's the real problem. If 25% of the clothes that came in would sell immediately, 75% were a slow sell. So each time that you ordered what you're ordering every month, you've got your inventory getting bigger and bigger every month because it's taking a while to burn through that inventory. And it was just, yeah, I mean, the really hot stuff would sell out immediately, and then um, you were stuck with all this inventory. So, yeah, there's advantages and disadvantages to everything we talk about, and that, that, is a, that was a big disadvantage for that company. So um, home, sweet home, top home-based franchises. Um, you've got home helpers, home care, cruise planners, Vanguard cleaning systems, Snap-on tools, Matco tools, Social Isle, CleanNet USA, budget blinds, coverall health-based cleaning, Kim Dry carpet, and upholstery cleaning. So a lot of stuff in service industries. But um, you hear about another one. Um, has anybody ever heard of MLM or multi-level marketing? Like, um, what is that? It's a Herbalife. Have you heard of Herbalife? Yeah. yeah. That's that's another like home-based business. A lot of they'll open up um, places where you can go get the shakes and stuff too. Right, so. I actually owned a He did? Yeah. How'd it go? It went alright. Yeah? yeah? Does it still operate? No. No? Um, so, I mean, I've seen a bunch of different home-based businesses over the years. My dad was in Amway way like 40 years ago. I mean, but... Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, just like any business, you know. So, um, e-commerce and franchising. Most brick-and-mortar franchises have expanded online. Many franchisers prohibit franchisee-sponsored sites because conflicts can erupt. Sometimes reverse royalties are sent to franchisees who benefit, who believe their sales were hurt by the franchisor's site. Um, and so, basically, what's happening, they're describing there is, if I open up a franchise, I can't set up my own operation outside of the main company because that's basically competing against the main company sales. They don't like that. But um, you do have these situations where a company says, We're gonna, we believe that if we sell to someone in your market, we might give you a royalty off of that. It has a reverse royalty side. Using technology in franchising. 
Franchisers use technology, including social media, to extend their brands, meet the needs of both customers and their franchisees. We actually have a digital media program on campus now. Has anybody taken anything with that, by the way? No? It's, um, that, that program is designed to help people uh, become digital media content managers. And so that, this is a very much in-demand career path. Uh, I looked into it when we launched this program, and there were over 100 job listings in the RTP, Triangle, Johnson County area. Um, and basically, companies need people to come on board that know how to manage branded content. And so um, some of your favorite brands you can go follow on Twitter or Instagram or TikTok, and they're constantly putting out content to promote their brands. And the best, the people that have the most success are really good at it. One, one that comes to mind that, you know, it's not my favorite, but it's, it works, is Geico, the Gecko Lizards. Everybody knows who the Gecko Lizard is, right? Warren Buffett is a big owner. I think he owns, they own Geico too. But um, you got to give it to them, you know. It's so simple, even a caveman can do it, right? I mean, that's, that's one of their, their, their mantras. So, um, you, you got you got to like respect companies that can can figure out how to tap out, tap into social media and brand their content well. So um, global markets, even smaller franchises are going global. Canada is the most popular target for U.S. based franchises, but but also is uh, China, South Africa, and the Philippines and the Middle East. They offer the same advantages as the U.S. convenience and a predictable level of service and quality. Uh, adapting products and brand names to different countries creates challenges. Foreign franchises also come to the U.S. So although KFC is famous around the world for its fried chicken, in India, the kernel must also appeal to the nation's millions of vegetarians with meatless options like the plant-based burger pictured here. So do you think a sandwich like this would be successful with KFC customers in the U.S.? What do you guys think? This is solely opinion. No? I don't think... KFC is successful in the U.S. right now. Does anybody eat there? They're what? Yeah. So there used to be a KFC Taco Bell, but it was mainly the KFC bar, right. the Dairy Queen. That's closed down there. They took off the KFC part. They were making it into a Taco Bell. So like, right. I've just I've only seen them flop. I I just don't I don't I mean number one their chicken is very expensive compared to other competitors. It's not that good. It's not that good compared to other competitors either. Like when I was a kid, it was good. Back in the day, you know, but there wasn't as many options. There wasn't many options, yeah. But I tell you, who used to have good chicken was Hardee's. Did you ever eat Hardee's fried chicken? I thought that was good. They did away with that, but um, I don't know. Like I could go to Piggly Wiggly and get a fried chicken for ten bucks. If I go get the same chicken at KFC, it's going to be nineteen dollars. That's a problem. I mean, if I go to Walmart and get a fried chicken, it's like six or seven bucks. So, you know, there's some serious competition there, and consumers are looking for that price advantage. You know. It's terrible customer service. Was that quality? Yeah, the quality? Like the quality of chicken only declined. Really? Yeah. So the market will tell you the truth. If you like, I tell that this is something I teach my business students. If you listen to consumers, they'll tell you what they want. And um, you know, I want like a quality product at a good price. And KFC is not meeting either one of those metrics. So. And I said no to the. Can you imagine if around here, if Bojangles started offering a plant-based. Yeah, it's, well, it just flies in the face of what goes there for that type of product. Well, I had an idea, and I'll share this, and I'll close on this. Uh, I like Red Bull. You like Red Bull? Yeah, we're fans. Um, I, I actually emailed Red Bull and said, you guys should come up with a caffeine-free version so people can drink Red Bull at night that want the flavor but don't want the caffeine. And it's kind of like trying to offer a vegetarian 
chicken sandwich, you know, for at a chicken. They it just goes against their brand, you know, because their brand is get you hyped up. We've got wings, but I would like a Red Bull Midnight is what I suggested they call it. Red Bull Midnights. If you want to have a Red Bull drink at midnight, but you don't want the caffeine, because I've got I've craved a Red Bull at like ten o'clock at night before, but I know that's a mistake, so I don't drink it, you know. So. Or low calf, like, yeah. Like a decaf version. Yeah. Not like fully sure. It, so they can still have like that aspect of like the Red Bull, but like people that have like anxiety or like heart issues and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, see, my my boss Brian Worley, he has a caffeine aversion. He he, he makes him not feel good, and um, Coca Cola offers caffeine free options. You know. So what's up, man? Yeah. Because I remember I watched um, a, he's a chemistry he's a chemist YouTuber he like does chemistry and all that. Sure. And uh, he took the caffeine out of Red Bull. Sure. And it took a long time for him to do it, but he said it tastes the exact same. It does, yeah. And it's just he could drink it before he went to bed. Well, instead of him having to do that, they could just not put it in to yeah. begin with, you know. He was kind of just saying it like he told he was like I had brought it up to them. Right. Like you said, he had emailed them, but he was also like. Since I can do it, why not I just try it and see if it works? Yeah. Watch them. Okay, if it, this is going to be so sick, and I hope it happens. Watch them put it out like before this class ends, and I'll be so pumped that I was a part of that, making that happen. So caffeine, I mean, got Red Bull Midnight, caffeine-free. I love it. Um, last, on that note, before I end completely, never, ever, 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 ever take raw caffeine. Never, ever, ever do that. I read, I read an article where this guy bought caffeine from Amazon, he put a scoop in his cup and drank it, and it was like 350 times the recommended dose, and it it didn't it didn't kill him instantly. He had multiple heart attacks over like a 24-hour period. They had to put him into a coma in the hospital, and the doctor said, "We don't know how to fix it." He's I mean he's going to die, you know, and he died, and I just couldn't just just it just sounds terrible. So never ever ever think it's a good idea to take raw caffeine and do that. So. That's your health tip for the day, folks. But I just don't want nothing bad to happen to you guys, so avoid that. Guys, enjoy your weekend. No homework, uh, of course. We've just got the quiz next week. Uh, turn your cards back in before you leave, please. Appreciate you. Have a good weekend.